0: And welcome back to the Watchdog's Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host and I consider myself a watchdog. In this episode, I think we're at 37? Yeah, something like that. In this episode, we're going to talk about how Franklin Delano Roosevelt was right. In his inauguration speech, he said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, and that's true. I'll give you some prime examples of things that are happening today where it makes it even more true. Uh, New York City's mayor is making things worse. Uh, BlackRock wants to force behaviors. China is spying on us. No big revelation there, but now they want to do it from Cuba. And crazy coincidences. Every time something comes out revealing Joe Biden and the Biden family business corruption, Donald Trump is indicted. Or something like that happens. It's, it's really crazy coincidences. You won't believe it either once I detail everything out for you. So stick around. That's what this podcast is going to be about. I hope you have enjoyed all the podcasts previously. If you have not listened to all of them, go back. Listen to every single one from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. I think I've said that before. I, I think I've even sung that before. Huh, interesting. So go back and find out why Vladimir Putin invaded at this time and what's happening in our schools and the Biden family business. There's about three podcasts about just that and all kinds of other things that have gone on. I try to get details and ideas that will withstand the test of time. I definitely make some comments about current events. But most of the stuff that I talk about, you can listen to now and go, wow, that's still relevant. So I encourage you to do that. All right, let's get right into it. Listen to what Franklin Delano Roosevelt said on his inauguration, March 4th, 1933. And keep in mind, this was right at the end of the Great Depression.
1: And I am certain that on this day, my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision with the present situation of our people in So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. We face our common difficulties. They concern, thank God, only material things. The withered leaves of industrial enterprise lie on every side. Farmers find no market for their produce, and the savings of many years in thousands of families are gone. More important, a host of unemployed citizens face the grim problem of existence and an equally great number sparkled with little return. Only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. And yet we are stricken by no plague of locusts compared with the perils which our forefathers conquered, we have still much to be thankful for.
0: I wanted to play a little bit more of that speech because everybody only plays those famous lines. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But there was a little more to that because at the time, a lot of people were paralyzed with this fear that things were never going to get better. And in order for things to get better, he had to have bold action. He had to have people like pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I know that's a racist trope, whatever now. But anyway, that he needed people to take risks and to go to work and to push themselves to be better, because that's how we were going to come out of the Great Depression. Kind of the same thing today. There are people today that are using fear to paralyze you into not doing anything. There are those who discovered during the pandemic that fear can motivate people to do things they would never normally do if they're not afraid, like give up a lot of their freedoms and liberties. And many people see this task of conquering these disasters that these fear mongers are pushing on us like climate change. They don't want to do anything about it. They just want everyone else to do something about it and they just give money. That's all they want. They want you to donate money and they want the government to spend trillions, it used to be billions, now it's gonna be trillions of dollars to solve this problem for you. See, that's what they're hoping is people are so afraid and so overwhelmed by what can they possibly do as one person or one community. They can't do anything, so let's just give our money and power over to the government so they can solve it for us. Do you see the flaw in that plan? The government hasn't fixed anything, and I mean anything. The government, when when it steps in to run things, it usually ruins them. It usually runs them into the ground. So just as FDR said, the real thing we have to fear is the fear itself. And those who who are fomenting that fear and panic and chaos, because those that are screaming and yelling about climate change about systemic racism all these things they are gaining from getting you to be afraid of those things it's always about money and it's all or it's always about power or it's always about both money and power those that are screaming the loudest about climate change are those who have the most to gain from it either politically in votes or monetarily and viewership of you know the news reports so keep that in mind when you hear people spreading panic and fear about everything like i said there are those who i believe released the virus on purpose but there are those who watched the world go into an unrestrained Unrealistic panic over this virus that very early they discovered wasn't killing people. Because the real issue with me when I discovered it was complete BS was when they were conflating, and they still do, still to this day, they are conflating the numbers of the people that have died with COVID and those who have died from COVID. Those are very different numbers. Hundreds of thousands of deaths different because someone could go in with a car crash and be on their dying last few breaths. And if they're tested for COVID and they had uh, COVID before, you know, and had already recovered from it, they died of COVID. The CARES Act paid hospitals tens of thousands of dollars for every COVID death. So hospitals were incentivized to say that there were more COVID deaths than there really were. So again, pay attention to the people that are trying to scare you. What do they have to gain? That's why now, my friends, we need to question everything. And I mean everything. I'll see a news report on... uh, Fox or CNN or MSNBC or read it in the HuffPost or uh, the Daily Cause. or it, I, I check all different sources. And the first time I read it or hear about it uh, on the, on the, uh, in my car radio or watching the news in the morning, I watch News Mix, which has all the different stations in the morning while I'm getting my green drink together and everything. I listen to that report and then I'm immediately skeptical of it until I go do the research to find out whether or not that report is true or not, because I know there are those who want people to automatically believe them, and especially when the report is salacious and monumental and earth-shattering and this-just-in, news-alert, You know, all these things that pop up. I am so sick of seeing news alerts because every single station uses them to go into a new block of news. This just in, whatever news comes in, it's created as an alert or this just in or red alert or whatever. Because there is truth to the old news adage. If it bleeds, it leads because that's what viewers will click on the most. They're either fascinated and want to see the, the slow-moving train wreck that most news reports are, and they click in with bated breath to see what's going to happen to Donald Trump or to Joe Biden or to different things that either side wants to see the other side suffer from. That's, that's what's happening in our news cycle. They are catering, to your fear, your ignorance, and you're just wanting to live the life by yourself, just wanting to live your own life. They don't want that. They want you to tune in with rapt attention to everything they tell you, and they want you to follow everything they say. And if they have to use fear to do it, they do that a lot. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt was right. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Oh, and just to give you an interesting little side note here, speaking of fear, um, the CDC has now come out with a new study that shows that there was a small increase in cases of myocarditis from people that got the vaccine. It was just a tiny little minuscule 13,000% increase in people that got myocarditis and other heart problems from the vaccine. And you know what? I remember watching the excerpts or, or the um, trailer for a TV show called Utopia. Did Utopia really talk about what? was going to be expected with vaccines in the future, listen to this.
2: Your father created world-changing, not world-ending, a world-changing, world-improving omnivirus, and we have taken that virus and embedded it in the vaccine of the Sturge flu. I knew it. I knew it. He created a panic, and now everybody's begging for the vaccine. No, 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 demanding it with all the entitlement of a first world country. Yeah, and now we have exactly what we want. Hundreds of millions of Americans lining up, offering us their arms, and letting us give them our creation. I'm pretty sure when every vaccinated person starts dying, they'll trace it back to you, undetectable virus or not. What we are doing is far bigger than death. This virus is not deadly. It looks pretty damn deadly. And how's it a cure? You're killing people. I told you it does not kill. That was the amazing epiphany we had. We didn't have to kill to accomplish our goal. We intend to stop human reproduction for three generations. The busy, endless global assembly line of babies will grind to all. You're sterilizing people? Huh? In the first five years, we'll start to see major birth rate declines as teenagers vaccinated stay hit their childbearing years. You're controlling the future of human
0: civilization. Once again, this is from the TV show Utopia that came out in 2020, but it's based on a book written in 2013. Interesting, huh? Makes you wonder. Yes, there have been a lot of people that have died from the vaccine, but I wonder what's going to happen in the next few years if we are going to see a dramatic decline in birth rate. I do know in a couple of studies I've read that sterility is one of a negative side effect that happens from the mRNA vaccine. Also, why do you think they're pushing puberty blockers on children that are just confused and going through mental and emotional issues? I think all of this is created by eugenists that want to control the population. And they knew, just like this guy said... If all of these people started dying right after getting the vaccine, then it would be obvious. But if slowly but surely people become sterile and they are able to stop three generations of reproduction, that's the end of our world. (laughs) Now I know the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, but I wanted people to understand there's a reason why they created that panic. If you listen to this thing, they created a worldwide panic so people would be voluntarily offering their arms for the shots. And the other guy chimed in, no, no, not volunteering, demanding. How many people were demanding the vaccine or demanding their employees got the vaccine? How many employers are still demanding. I just saw a job interview the other day of something that I was interested in maybe uh, applying for. And they said, you must be fully vaccinated and wear masks while performing this job. And again, I'm not going to give up everything. I'm I'm getting close to where I'm these two worlds of mine are going to collide and I won't be able to stop it. But I couldn't believe it when I was reading the job description. I was like, what? They're still requiring that people be fully vaccinated and they're still wearing masks? I mean, come on. I look out, you know, when I'm driving around or or running errands or or doing things and I see someone still, still, now that the, the, the pandemic is over, everyone has declared it over. It's done completely done, there are still people wearing masks by themselves, out walking their dog or riding their bike, I saw another one, or driving their car with their windows up, all isolated from every... Yeah, this, this my friends, is evidence of that worldwide panic. And the people that had an actual psychosis created from that panic that they are still, to this day, freaked out and worried about their life being in danger every day, all day, to the extent where they still wear masks. That is what FDR was talking about, not in this context, but back then. The fear, the power of fear, that's what he was talking about. Oh, and just to cover something really quickly, uh, this past week, we celebrated D-Day where over 156,000 Allied soldiers stormed the beaches at Normandy. And all the different beach names, I can't remember Utah and Omaha and other beaches. Anyway, 4,000 people were killed that first day, but they went. That is real courage. Look at the difference between the greatest generation When they were 18 to 20 years old, they were going off to war, to fight tyranny, to put their lives on the line for our country. That is real courage. Look at the 18 to 20 year olds today. Some of them, there are exceptions, absolutely. There are some courageous, wonderful, hardworking, inspirational, inventive, innovative 18 to 20 year olds. But for the most part, 18 to 20-year-olds have been raised by helicopter parents and snowplow parents, they call them, where they removed all obstacles and challenges out of their life. And they're they're sending them out to—and the universities are indoctrinating them where their right to be offended is protected by the Constitution, and that's not in it at all. But they believe it is. And so they want their safe spaces and their trigger warnings. You can't offend me and destroying people's lives for someone saying something offensive 20 years ago in a text or an email or, you know, written in a yearbook or or something just asinine that now we're actually holding everyone accountable for everything they've ever said in their entire lives, including when they were teenagers. So the difference is night and day between the courage of the greatest generation in World War II, World War I and World War II, and the people today is so huge. It's just crazy to me. All right, New York City, Eric Adams, what, what are you doing? I had pretty good hopes, pretty high hopes when he took over because his police enforcement background I thought maybe he was going to do things that were going to make the city safer to lower crime. But no, he's done the opposite. And this latest thing that New York City has installed is, I have to go back to my word, asinine. Literally asinine. New York City is installing vending machines for addicts. In these vending machines... Oh, by the way, they cost $11,000 a piece to install. In these vending machines, there are first aid kits and Narcan and lip balm and crack pipes and condoms. All of these things are free and they're installing them in neighborhoods that have high drug problems. Well, duh. Can you guess what happened? Within the first 24 hours of one machine being installed in Brooklyn, the machine was completely cleaned out of crack pipes and condoms. Huh. That's, that's really funny, huh? That's odd. I mean, I can understand having a vending machine or a way to get Narcan for emergency uses. Absolutely, I can understand that. But putting all of this crack pipes and condoms and First aid kits and lip balm. I understand from what I hear, your lips get pretty cracked when you smoke crack, whatever. But, and you don't want to have chapped lips. Now, while you're high, you do not want to have chapped lips. That's just so annoying. So, this is going to increase the drug use and the crime. You know, honestly, it seems like everyone's given up. They think that enabling addicts. And enabling mental illness and enabling criminals is the way to reduce crime, reduce drug addiction, and reduce mental illness? Really? That's, like I said, I think people have just given up. I think that the uh, the certain people have just said, you know what? Everything's gone the way it is. The... Let's just enable this and let people live as they want to live. Whatever happened to tough love? Whatever happened to putting people in prison for crimes to prevent them from doing other crimes? Whatever happened to treating people that have drug and alcohol addictions rather than giving them the tools to continue their addiction, giving them free crack pipes, giving them uh narcan which uh, like i said i think that's there are there is some merit to that but also think about it if someone goes into systems of overdose and someone gives them narcan and gets them out of it they're going to do the drugs again because that wasn't a close enough brush with death and the people that have mental illness the gender dysphoria or dysmorphia i don't know exactly which one is right but why are we enabling this mental illness by allowing them to change their gender and their uh, put them on puberty blockers and get them surgeries when they're kids, that is life-altering decisions that are made by someone who thinks that enabling is better than treating. And just when you think Eric Adams couldn't be any more idiotic, then putting these healthcare vending machines—it's not healthcare; it's enabling. Then Eric Adams wants to solve the overcrowding of the illegal immigrants being sent into his city by asking residents to open up their homes like an Airbnb, and New York will pay you $130 a night. To house an illegal immigrant in your house. If you listen to the people that work in the hotels where these immigrants are staying in $500 a night rooms, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. You've got mostly adult males that are drinking, doing drugs. There's weapons in the rooms. So yeah, hey, New Yorkers, You've got, you know, that nice two- or three-story walk-up on the Upper East Side or or in, in Midtown. You've got that really nice residence up on the 51st floor. Hey, you've got that spare bedroom, right? Well, let's let uh, this illegal immigrant come in and stay with you. No, we don't know anything about his or her background. No, uh-uh. We're not allowed to do that. That's that's not right. That's not constitutional. Or. That's not humane, asking about someone's background. Oh No, no, it's, it's sight unseen. So will, will you take this, this uh, man or woman into your home, knowing nothing about them? And we'll pay you $100, $130 a night. And Eric Adams says, for those that are suffering with the high prices of the cost of living here in New York, this is a way to alleviate that inconvenience for you. You can make money now and enough money to pay, you know, less of your rent because most more, a bigger chunk of it will be paid by this payment we're going to give you to house these illegal immigrants. Yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I have an idea. It's, I know it's novel. It's a crazy novel idea. Let's stop the illegal immigration, shall we? Oh, that makes way too much sense. No, no, no. We want an unlimited, unrestricted flow of illegal immigrants. Oh, and by the way, the people that think that the flow was stopped by what happened in Texas with the razor wire and putting the National Guard, uh uh, no. The cartels working with the U.S. government have gotten buses that pick people up at the places where everything's blocked off and driving them. Two ports of entry. So illegal immigrants are still coming into our country in massive numbers. And like I said, when, when did we just give up? When did, when did this country just say, ah, all right, borders are open, we're not going to enforce our laws, we're not going to... I can tell you why this is all happening. Go back and listen to some of my podcasts. I talk about there are those who have to destroy this country and especially its government power-limiting documents, the Constitution. If they can get this country to be completely demoralized, desensitized, uh, young kids to be sexualized and confused and used, and they can destroy the United States Constitution and get us to get rid of the Second Amendment and get rid of the First Amendment and get rid of all these others, and By the way, in order to do that, you have to have what's called a constitutional state convention, a convention of states. And that hasn't happened for hundreds of years. And I would personally like to get all the states together and create amendments to clarify a lot of things that people are misinterpreting. But there are those, like I said, that want to destroy our constitution and destroy our country because our country and the Constitution are the only thing that st- stand in the way of world governance. Speaking of those who want world governance, the president of BlackRock, Larry Fink, recently was recorded saying this.
2: You, you now make a point of
3: that's, that's an investment criteria for you. Well, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we're going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. Uh, 54% of the incoming class are women. We, we added four more points in terms of diverse, uh, employment this year. And it will, if it's, you know, what we're doing internally is if you don't achieve these levels of impact, your compensation could be impacted, okay? We're doing the same thing. And so it's just, it, you have to force behaviors. And if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. And that's not just not recruiting. It is development, as Ken said. And ultimately... It's still going to take time, but I am just as much shocked as Ken is that we have not seen more opportunities and we're going to have to force change.
0: So basically, this is the president of BlackRock, who incidentally controls $10 trillion of assets. BlackRock and Vanguard are the two biggest investment firms in the world. And together they combine, they, they control $11 trillion. So BlackRock's the biggest one. And the president, Larry Fink, is basically saying, if you do not match the ESG standards that we're trying to impose, we won't invest with you, number one, but also his own employees won't last in the company if they're not personally trying to get this, social governance in their own departments. So what really struck me was, he says, we have to force behaviors. I I think forcing people to behave certain ways kind of goes against our First Amendment rights. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. But this is how nuts they are. They believe if people aren't willing to comply, just like people that weren't willing to get the uh, vaccine, they basically forced companies to enforce vaccinated status on their own by threatening companies from getting subsidies and, you know, preferential treatment. Basically, the government shaming. That's what they do. They put pressure on these private companies to make these laws happen because the government can't do it themselves. They know that. They know they can't do it themselves because they're bound by the limitations of the Constitution. But they can put pressure on corporate America and corporations to enforce the laws they want to be enforced. And that's exactly what's happening at BlackRock. He wants to force behavioral changes. This is a crazy. All right. Speaking of crazy, listen to this. China no longer fears the U.S. in any way, shape, or form. They were not sure about Donald Trump because he was unpredictable. And that was a good quality to have in a leader because foreign leaders didn't dare push him because they thought he just might be crazy enough to push that button, you know? So now we have, A president, I can't even call him a leader because he's a follower, and he has instilled no fear worldwide. None of our enemies fear us. The latest example of this, you know, we know China, uh, you know, flew their spy balloon over the country for a week, and it did figure eights over our U.S. military bases and missile silos, and nothing happened. And then a few months ago, or I I think it was last year or, or maybe a year before, but a Chinese national purchased Bird Key down in the Florida Keys. And that sits right at the edge of one of the deepest trenches that our Navy submariners train in. And then lately, what happened recently is China came to a deal with Cuba to build a spy base on the island of Cuba to spy on the southern states of the U.S. Because, you know, Cuba is only 90 miles from Key West. So China doesn't fear us at all. And we are basically, because China is giving the Biden family so much money, they can't do anything against them because they're already bought and paid for. And you'll notice this whole issue about restricting or banning TikTok nationwide. I know Montana has banned it for their city or for their state, but uh, you know I don't know how they're going to enforce that. But I commend them for doing that. I thought it was going to keep growing and growing and growing, and eventually we were going to ban TikTok in the U.S. But nope. Apparently, enough money has flowed into the decision makers, lawmakers, pockets from China, that now that whole issue has gone away. And like I said, that's TikTok is the biggest spy operation that China has. That, that balloon floating over our country, uh, the, that new secret base on uh, you know, the southern tip uh, or, or below the southern tip of the U.S. in Cuba, all those things are distance. observations. TikTok allows them to have access to, and by them, I mean the Chinese government, the CCP, because ByteDance is still owned by the CCP. And in communist countries, the the government controls everything. Every single business is subject to the government control. And so ByteDance is owned by the Chinese government. And every time you're on that app, Whether it's live, flipping through those stupid, mindless videos, or you have it open in your phone, just not on it, you know, when we open all those apps. And until you close the app, that app is still open on your phone. And the Chinese government has access to your camera, to your microphone. They record every website you visit, every keystroke you make, all of your contacts, everything is wide open to them. And I know I've said this before, but I think it's so important that we get back on this trying to, to uh, ban TikTok because they could be spying in someone else in the room that you have no idea is there. And you're just on your, your TikTok app or you're on your phone flipping through things and they're looking in the camera and listening to your microphone at a conversation two tables away or someone that walks by that they've been looking for, a spy they've been looking for. You had no idea. Uh, who they are. China has 150 million unwitting spies working for the CCP, whether they know it or not. And lastly, speaking of coincidences and crazy coincidences, you know, a lot of things have happened at the same time. And it kind of looks like This government and Joe Biden are trying to create distractions. Let me give you the latest example. James Comer and his House Oversight Committee has finally been allowed to see the document by the whistleblower that basically shows that Joe Biden accepted a $5 million bribe and his hunter accepted another $5 million bribe from a former executive at Burisma in Ukraine. They've been trying to get uh, Christopher Wray to, to bring that document or allow the whole committee to see the document. And he's been dragging his heels and dragging his heels. He finally allowed the House Oversight Committee to see that document. And the same day, Donald Trump is indicted again for obstruction of justice with the classified documents. Gosh, what a coincidence. You know, I I think it was the same time that Mar-a-Lago was raided. It was about that same time that they discovered Joe Biden had classified documents at the Biden-Penn Center. Yeah, I, I, I think it was that same time when legitimate news sources came out about Hunter Biden's laptop being real, I think that was the same time that Trump was indicted by the grand jury in New York City. Gosh, what a crazy coincidence. I mean, those like the same day, that's kind of nuts, right? And I believe the IRS was knocking on Matt Taibbi's door the same day he was releasing the Twitter files on Twitter and testifying before Congress. Gosh, all of these are just really strange coincidences, don't you think? I mean, goodness gracious, this latest thing, if they're going to go after Donald Trump for mishandling documents, they're going to have a really hard time with that because Joe Biden has mishandling been mishandling documents, uh, classified documents for a lot longer. Matter of fact, there are some documents they found at the residence of Joe Biden, probably in that really secure garage next to his Corvette, that were from the time when he was a senator. That would mean that Joe Biden would have had to steal classified documents from the skiff he was reading them in. And let me give you an idea of what a skiff is. Okay, that's secured, contained information facility, SCIF. Okay. So it's very, very secure. You go in, you have to leave your your phone and your keys and everything outside this room. And when you go sit in this room, there is someone there turning pages for you with the super classified documents. So you're allowed to read them, but you're not allowed to touch anything. You're not allowed to get your fingerprints anywhere on those documents. Someone is sitting there who has the security clearance to sit there? And they're, when you say turn page, they turn the page for you. And then when you leave that skiff, you are checked to make sure that you don't have anything with you. Somehow, Joe Biden, as senator, got documents out of that skiff, and now they've discovered that he has 31 pallets of documents at the University of Delaware, and. You know, in his garage and in his uh, houses, he's got three different houses. They found documents. So Joe Biden has the same problem Donald Trump is. Now, they're going to argue that Joe Biden turned everything over when he was asked. And Donald Trump didn't. He fought that. Well, Donald Trump was president when he had the documents. And a president has the ability to declassify those documents. A vice president doesn't have that authority, and a senator definitely does not have the authority. So all of this is political, and they're they're not even trying to make it sneaky. They're doing it on the same days. They're putting out distracting stories on the same day, and people are buying it. You should see all of the Hollywood liberal elite— that are celebrating that Donald Trump has been indicted on criminal charges. And by the way, I call these folks the usual delusionals because they're all absolutely delusional. Let me just read you a couple of fun tweets. Let's see. You've got Josh Gad says, Trump now has more indictments than terms in office. And Mark Hamill says, Kaboom! Stephen King says, wah, 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 Trump did it to himself. And uh, Rob Reiner, fascism and racism was just hit by a massive blow of democracy. Uh, right. Sh- sure, Rob. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why your character was called Meathead. Uh, and then I can't even read the word from Michael Rappaport, but he says, so-and-so is indicted again. I'm going crazy in a parking lot. And the video shows him screaming and laughing. These people are delusional. And the worst of all of them was a comedian, Mark Marin. Pat Robertson is returning to hell and Trump is returning to court. Big day for justice. That to me is just sick. Pat Robertson was a great man. Uh, you may disagree with him and his Christian ministry, but he did big things. And brought a lot of people comfort. And that's really to think that he's going to hell because you disagree with his religion is not really indicative of your understanding of the afterlife. You've got all these people that are celebrating Donald Trump being indicted again, but they don't understand indictment isn't conviction. You can be indicted, that's accused, basically. Indicted and accused are synonyms. And they, he, Trump's been indicted of many things, but he's gotten off of most of the things he's been accused of doing. I don't know if he's going to get off on everything on this one at all, but I do know one thing for absolute certain, because Rachel Maddow basically said the quiet part out loud on MSNBC. She talked about how I'll bet that part of a plea deal would be If Donald Trump agreed to drop out of the race and never run for politics again, that they would reduce his sentence. Well, Donald Trump says he's not going anywhere and he's going to fight this. I think he should. And if he were to give in and take a plea deal and agree not to do you know, to go in politics again, then fascism wins in this country. And the people that don't think that's fascism, when you are forcing a political opponent out of a race to prevent from running against him, that's what we see in banana republics, in third world countries, where the reigning or the, the running leader, the, rain, the current leader, goes after any political opponents to make it impossible for them to run in the next election. That's what they're trying to do to Donald Trump. They're trying to throw everything and the kitchen sink at him to prevent him from running. They're praying that they can put enough pressure on him to get him to bow out of this race. And all they've done is steal his reserve, his resolve, rather. And I believe all they've really done is steal the resolve of all of his supporters. That's anywhere from 30 to 35 percent of the registered voters are diehard Trump fans. And will vote for him no matter what. I am one that has voted on both sides of the aisle. I like Donald Trump. I have considered other uh, candidates in this election. I like a lot of the things Vivek Ramaswamy says. I like some of the things Ron DeSantis says. I like some of the things Larry Elder says. I like some of the things RFK Jr. is saying. But I'm telling you, I don't think there's anyone that can stand up to this barrage the way Donald Trump has. And now, the reason why they really don't want him in is they know he's prepared for what they're going to throw at him this time. When he got into politics before, he'd never been in politics, and he trusted some wrong people in his administration, and he didn't know how badly he was going to be attacked. Now, he's prepared. He knows what to pay attention to, what to ignore, and I think he's going to be a much more effective leader this time. So, anyway... Again, you may agree or disagree with me, and please feel free to write me and tell me all about it. Drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. All right, and as I always like to do, I want to end on a high note or a positive note. This one's kind of more for me than you. It's just kind of a look back on what my childhood was like, and I really wish children today could experience these things. Uh, We never questioned mom or dad's income. It was never a discussion. Uh, We didn't eat a lot of fast food because it was considered a treat, not a food group. (laughs) We drank Kool-Aid made of water that came from our kitchen sink with real sugar. We ate fried egg sandwiches, PB&J and grilled cheese sandwiches, hot dogs, but mostly homemade meals consisting of meat, potatoes and vegetables and meatloaf or or fried chicken on Sundays. We grew up during a time when we mowed lawns, pulled weeds, babysat, helped neighbors with chores to be able to earn our own money. We by no means were given everything we wanted. We went outside a lot to play, ride bikes, run with friends, play hide-and-seek, or went swimming. And for me, it was we jumped on a trampoline a lot and hiked in the mountains because we lived right by the mountains. If we had a Coke, it was in a glass bottle. And we didn't break that bottle when we finished. We saved it and cashed it back in at the store for a refund. We drank tap water from the water hose outside. <gasps> Bottled water was unheard of. We watched TV shows like Gilligan's Island, Happy Days, Bewitched, The Brady Bunch, Sanford and & Son, and Dukes of Hazard. On Saturday mornings, it was Looney Tunes, The Flintstones, and The Jetsons. On Saturday nights, it was the double feature of The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. De Plane, De Plane. On Sunday nights, we watched The Wonderful World of Disney, followed by The Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Mom and Dad decided everything we watched or didn't watch. After school, we came home and did homework and chores before going outside or having friends over. We would ride our bikes for hours. And we had to tell our mom where we were going, who we were going with, and we had to be home when the street light came on. We watched what we said around our elders because we knew if we disrespected any grown-up, we would get our behinds whipped. And that wasn't abuse. It was discipline. We held doors, carried groceries, and gave up our seat for an older person without being asked. You didn't hear curse words on the radio or on songs or on TV, and if you cursed and you got caught, you got a bar of soap stuck in your mouth. Please, thank you, yes please, no thank you, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, and no sir were part of our daily vocabulary. The world we live in now it just seems so full of hate and disrespect for others. Kids spend all days indoors or on their phones or computers flipping through endless video clips and posts from people who only post their very best days and edit and digitally enhance their pictures. I will never forget where I came from, and I only wish children nowadays had half the chance at the fun and respect for our elders that we grew up with. We were never bored, that's for dang sure. All right, and then I wanna just share one really quick fun joke that I read that I thought was really funny. It reminded me a lot of flying with my dad and, and our family flying a lot. So. This, was, this one made me chuckle. I thought maybe it might tickle your funny bone, too. A woman was flying from Melbourne to Brisbane. Unexpectedly, the, pa- the plane was diverted to Sydney. The flight attendant explained that there would be a delay. If the passengers wanted to get off the aircraft, the plane would reboard in 50 minutes. Everyone got off the plane except one lady who was blind. A man noticed her as he walked by and could, and could tell the lady was blind because of her seeing eye dog laying quietly underneath the seat in front of her throughout the entire flight. He could also tell she had flown this very flight before because the pilot approached her and called her by name and said, Kathy, we're in Sydney for almost an hour. Would you like to get off and stretch your legs? The blind lady replied, no thanks, but maybe Max would like to stretch his legs. Now picture this. All the people in the gate area came to a complete standstill when they looked up and saw the pilot walk off the plane with a seeing eye dog. Pilot even wearing sunglasses. People scattered. They not only tried to change planes, but they were trying to change airlines. By the way, this is a true story. (laughs) Have a great day and remember, things aren't always as they appear. And a day without laughter is a day wasted. I could not agree more. And with that, I want to end this podcast. And thank you again for listening. And until next time, create an amazing day and relay the bark.